So today in the story of the journey of faith that we are reading, we're going to turn to the book of Joshua. And Joshua is the leader of Israel. He, um, he is the one that guides the people from their wandering journey in the wilderness into the promised land. And he is their leader. And where we enter into the story today, Joshua is old. He's on the point. He knows death is coming. And he gathers all the people of Israel together, the 12 tribes of Israel. He gathers them together at a place called Sachem. And he wants these people, as they've entered into this new land, to recommit themselves. It's like a wedding renewal service, a red, a re, redoing their vows to each other. He calls them together to do this. Because as if they've entered this land, they haven't entered this land in a vacuum. There's been other people there. There have been other nations there. There have been other gods there. And they've conquered them. And as they've conquered, you know, they've kind of mixed around with people. And they've seen a lot of things. And so he wants them, as he's getting ready to die, to renew their commitment to serving God. So to do this, what he does is he starts going through and he reminds the people everything that God has done for them how God called Abraham, and how God was with Isaac, and how God was with Joseph, and how they led them out of the land of oppression and brought them into this promised land. And when he gets done telling them everything that the Lord has done, he says this, So now revere the Lord. Serve the Lord honestly and faithfully. Put aside the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if it seems wrong in your opinion to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Choose the gods whom your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But as for me and my family, I will serve the Lord. And the people answered, God forbid that we would ever leave the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord is our God. He is the one who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. He has done these mighty signs in our sight. He has protected us the whole way we've gone and in all the nations through which we've passed. The Lord has driven out all the nations before us, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you leave the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn around and do you harm and finish you off in spite of having done you good in the past. Then the people said to Joshua, No, the Lord is the one we will serve. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves. 
that you have chosen to serve the Lord. They said, we are witnesses. So now, put aside the foreign gods that are among you. Focus your hearts on the Lord, the God of Israel. Then the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey him. So, I just wanted to move around today. That was kind of helpful that the bell's here so I can move around when I'm talking. I want to preface what I'm going to say today because I'm not sure how many people are like me, but I'm this way. Um, I want to preface that I like feedback from my sermons. I don't mind feedback from sermons. I don't mind actually feedback on just about anything that I do. I don't even mind if the, if the feedback is negative. I kind of like that. Because if there's some kind of a problem there, how can I do anything about it unless I know it? Okay, so I'm kind of like that. I like getting some kind of feedback. So I'm about to share a story from this congregation that comes out of this congregation, and I won't want you to be too sensitive about this. This is not a negative story. It's important you know there are no ill feelings about my, about my part, um, on my part, about what I'm about to share. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. I found it absolutely fascinating what happened, and it gave me really good material for a sermon. So I'm like, man, alive, this is awesome. And as soon as this whole thing happened, I'd say, ooh, I got to get this into a sermon. I just got to get this into a sermon. And then I sat down and read the text, and I'm like, oh my gosh, these two things go perfectly together. I couldn't have planned this any better. Absolutely awesome. So I'm kind of nervous now because I maybe built this up as a bigger deal than it really needs to be, but it's, uh, it's okay. So I went on vacation, and I was gone for a week. And I come back into the office, and I'm going through my mailbox. And inside my mailbox, there were two articles put in my mailbox. Absolutely hilarious. I've got this one article here that's a more recent one. You might have seen it in the Star Tribune. It's about uh, what churches get wrong and how to repopulate them, okay? All right, this article says that the churches really need to start talking more politics in the church. When they get into there, you need to start talking and taking those things on. There's a subtle groan in the whole congregation here. The other one I got was from uh, 2006, and it says uh, here, Methodists focusing on activism may be clearing out the pews. So I got one article here, you got to talk more politics, and I got another article here saying you got to take them all out. I thought it was pretty funny. It was absolutely, the timing of that was unbelievable. Joshua is old. He's about to die. He invites the whole congregation of Israel together to renew their vows. And Joshua, in what we didn't read, lists all the things that God has done to the people. He talks about the other gods, lowercase g, whom the ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. And then, he challenges them by saying, if something seems wrong, if it seems wrong to serve the one true God who led you out of captivity, then go ahead and serve other gods who were worshipped by your ancestors beyond the Euphrates in Egypt and by the Amorites. But today you'll have to choose 
which option to take. Stories like these sometimes lack depth because it doesn't really provide us any kind of information about the community that's worshiping there. We don't know. We think because everybody says, yes, we will worship the God, the one Lord, the God of our ancestors. We think that everybody's of the same mind. But this is a big nation. This is a big, these are 12 tribes. These are hundreds of people. I imagine that most people sit in here, you can't get agreement in your own family let alone a whole nation. We don't know how unified those voices are. So when we hear this, we need to think about that. What's important, what we need to think about that is unity of thought is not required to be a people, to be a tribe, to be a house, to be a nation, or a congregation. One doesn't need to look beyond your own family to see that. While we may lack, uh, while lack of unity might threaten peace, it does not negate one from being a family. These two articles, what's great about these two articles, and in some ways, they represent our congregation. Imagine if we went through and did a poll of every single person in this congregation, we might have 50% of the people that believe with this one, and we have 50% of the people that believe this one. The things that I cannot stand about these kind of arguments, both of them. None of these people have ever grown a church. <laughs> They've never been responsible for building up a church. They don't know what it takes and sitting there and they're laying out, this is what you need to do because everybody's got opinion and everybody's opinion's right. Right? Subtly, what's in these is this suggestion, if you do not do this, you will not grow. And who gets the responsibility for that? The pastor. It's all on the pastor's shoulders. If you preach too much politics, that's why they're leaving. If you don't preach enough politics, that's why they're going. All, all roads lead back to the one who preaches. And we've got to divide a congregation on where their approach is. So how do you deal with that? How do you cope with that? How do you meet the needs of everybody? While I appreciate the insights of both commentators, I do find these articles kind of comical. Again, not only have they not grown, any churches been responsible for that, I don't believe one of the guys that wrote the article even goes to church. <laughs> so I'm like going, which is not negating the voice. I like to hear the voice, but if you're going to tell me what I need to do for growth, it would be nice if you just had some skin in the game, if you know what I mean. But within both of these articles, there is some truth and there is some fiction. There's some truth and some fiction, and you have to navigate through the two to see where it is. There is some truth about preaching too much politics and sermons. Again, since the preacher is the only one who gets to speak and the political opinion shared is often the one of the preacher, there are no counterbalances to the argument. We do not have a worship service where I get to preach my opinion and make it like the president's address to the nation and have a counter-argument when the sermon's done. Those sermons might take two hours and might increase the division within the sanctuary. However, that is not the real danger. The real danger is that 
God's word in a congregation that spends too much time on politics, God's word all of a sudden becomes secondary. All of a sudden, it is about what people are feeling outside and not what God is telling us. And where we are being directed and led into a, a conflicted area. I've been in congregations where I follow a pastor where it was all uh, opinions and it was all political statements. And when I started talking and focusing on the word, people were looking at me like, well, we don't like that. We don't do that. And then I'm just looking, I'm like, well, what else is our purpose for being? Why are we here? At the same time, if we don't see Scripture as engaged in the issues of the day, we're lost. This is just some dead words that are on a piece of uh, print. They carry no meaning. Preaching, this is a... Um, it needs to inform us how we live and serve the world around us. And if we don't do that, we're lost. Preaching that is deaf to the needs of the world and to the needs of our immediate neighbors, preaching that does not call out injustice and inequality is not worth listening to and not consistent with the witness provided for us in Christ. Jesus challenged the political and religious institutions of his day, and he expected his words to be put into action. You... I sat there and I, I started recording the sermon, so I'm a little nervous to say this one, okay? So I come out of a Lutheran tradition, and that Lutheran tradition is we really liked what Martin Luther did 500 years ago, and we've been milking that one for 500 years, okay? <laughs> when it came to World War II and the extermination of the Jews, we love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We never talk about the 3,000 other Lutheran pastors that didn't stand up to it. So we love living in that. But that's not you. That's not Methodism. Do you understand that Methodists banned slavery in 1780, almost 100 years before the government did it? Understand that the Methodist church took a stand against the rampant drugs or alcohol and gambling that were going on. The temperance movements came out of the Methodist church. You have a history of being proactive, not just in the word, but also in political action. We've been that because we follow these, what, three simple rules that I got so schooled in, so educated by Kent that I just feel so I can talk about them, <laughs> right? Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God, okay? I, I, unless I'm mistaken, do is a verb, do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. How can we stay in love with God and not read God's word? And how can we do good in the world without talking about what is bad or what threatens the lives of our neighbors? So I want you to know this about my preaching. It's really important for you to understand this about my preaching. All of my sermons begin and end in Scripture. Regardless of where I go, those will always begin and they will always end in Scripture. When I get to do a sermon, I start reading that sermon on Monday, and it drives me crazy when churches want the title of my sermon on Monday because I don't know what that title's going to be often until Saturday because I'm walking through this text all week long. And when I walk through that text and figuring out, I'm walking that text with you with me. 
I am specifically thinking about you as I'm praying and reading and studying over those texts. I'll go back and I will find what the historical context is, but I will be looking to the world around us and see how does this interact with today, and specifically, how does that interact with you that are sitting here? One of the reasons that I'd like to get the feedback on things is because it helps me know you better. It helps me understand what you both want and what you need. So that when we come here and we preach, we can together walk through that and figure out where we are. Most of the time, I really do like to follow a pre-planned lectionary. You know, there's a lectionary that's been decided for years. It's called the Common uh, Revised Lectionary that just goes through the Bible. I'm following one that's called the Narrative that follows the story of Jesus and goes through, or story of faith all the way through. I like that they're pre-planned because, you know something? If I picked the text you would read every Sunday, you would get the Gospel of Eric. That's what you would get. You would get all my favorite stories, and we would preach them all the time, and you would grow up in faith, understanding what I know. But this, sometimes we have to deal with texts we don't like that come at really bad times that we might not choose to read, but we read them. And just like this, this is what I find so amazing about Scripture. This just came at the right time, ahead of an election, ahead of where political opinions are raw. When we're sitting there in our cells, when we come in here, we're Republican and we're Democrat, we're conservative, we're liberal. We come into this place. This is one of the few places left where people with different political ideology will willingly and freely come to be together in the same place. It's one of the last places. And we need to respect that for what it is. So I bring that along with me. Sometimes scripture needs to comfort us. More than once I've stood by the bedside of somebody who's been dying and have been totally clueless in what to say. So I read the Psalms, and the Psalms just have this beautiful way of working over any kind of soul, and just you sense it, you see it, you know it in their grounding that these words are bringing comfort. There are times that we come into the sanctuary that we need to find comfort, and there are times when we come into the sanctuary that we need to be challenged. We need to be challenged to do good in the world. And sometimes this good leaves us uncomfortable and uneasy, but we always are called by Christ, like I said, to enter the fragmented world with the words and actions of peace and healing. As a person responsible for preaching, when I do, I do this to a house divided, a house where half people think there should be nothing said of politics and half would think there should be more. And no matter how I respond, what I say will be received, is determining the life and health of the entire Christian church. No weight there whatsoever. What bothers me most about these kind, of con- these kind of articles is that I have been in a position to grow places, and I have. And everywhere I go, the, the context and the situation has been radically different and radically challenged. And each time I've learned through this to grow, you need to do three things. Number one, you need to understand your mission 
and have your mission drive everything you do. And our mission here is clearly laid out. We are a house of worship, and we are here to serve the Lord. And that's what guides us. That is our core, and that is our central. And whatever we do, whatever expression that finds us, that is what our core is here. Okay? The second thing is ministry is all about relationships. It's all about knowing people. It's not picking out the people that are like you and going drifting off to those people like you. It's finding out these amazing stories that are, that are hidden in people. My wife told me this incredible story. She was talking to um, um, her dad's barber. And he's this little guy over in Minneapolis, got this little shop. No, no, uh, um, no, no uh, appointments necessary. You just walk in. And he started telling us about signs of people's mental health that he could learn just by how they shave. We're just absolutely phenomenal. I'm really, I'm really focused about how I shave right now. I want you to know that, right? Because <laughs> I know what signs there are that uh, tell me I'm shaking. But how amazing. His relationship with those people that sit in his chair, he knows them so well, he can tell what their wants and needs are. That is what we need to see and hear. And not just leave it here, but as we go out into the world, those relationships help us understand people. And number three, it's really important to be a good and strong community. A good and strong community. And a good and strong community is not a gathering of the like-minded. A good and strong community are people that are radically different, that come together for a common person, purpose and share a life together. They know how to endure each other. They know how to support each other. They know how to lift up each other. They know when they come off the streets from a world that sometimes tries to beat them up, that they come in here and it's like coming into cheers without the alcohol. Um, coming into cheers, you just got a friend. You got somebody that cares. It's just, even if it's somebody asking what's going on in your life, they know that. Those three things are absolutely critical to going to the church. And those, those three things that we will focus on. It's interesting. We need to remember that these three things are called to us by the God that loves us. So that when we go out into this word, who will you serve? I want you to serve the Lord. I want you to uh, focus your hearts on the Lord, not just here in this place, but everywhere you go. I want you to see Christ in everybody you meet. I want you to see hope in everything that tries to build up despair. I want you to understand the peace that is possible in Christ. We end today with a covenant prayer prayed and written by John Wesley. He wrote this prayer, and I'll share it with you now. Let us pray. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me, full, let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.